0: Good morning. In today's headlines on Capitol Hill, no House speaker yet after Congressman Jim Jordan fell short of the votes needed on the first ballot. What's next on the quest for a House speaker?
1: President Biden meets with Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel. He brought a message about the hospital blast in Gaza.
0: A media information war is being waged in the Israel-Hamas conflict. IDF releases evidence and intelligence on the source of the Gaza hospital blast after widespread reports of an Israeli airstrike.
1: Pro-Palestinian protests erupted in cities around the world following the deadly blast at the Gaza hospital, which killed hundreds of people.
0: Civilians are still being held hostage by the Hamas terrorist group. Families wait anxiously for any news about their loved ones. We hear from a concerned daughter.
1: What are Israelis going through following the terrorist attack? And what message is being spread on college campuses surrounding the Israel-Hamas war? We get some insight from a rabbi. Good morning, welcome to NTD, I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning, also for me, I'm Evelyn Lee, today is October 18th. And it hurts me that we have to start the show like this every time, but you know, our hearts go out, of course, to the, all the families and people that perished in the hospital um, attack in Gaza. 3,000 yes. people have died now in total.
1: It's just that I just hope that all the people who are wounded recover fully and quickly, and that's mostly reportedly women and children.
0: Um, Also, we are starting with our top news today. President Biden landed in Israel and held a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. It's the first trip to Israel by an American president during a time of war. Netanyahu welcomed Biden's unequivocal support for Israelis. Biden reaffirmed America's stance on the war. Here's Biden.
2: I wanted to be here today uh, for a simple reason. I want the people of Israel, the people of the world, To know where the United States stands, I've had my great Secretary of State here. He's been here for a lot, but I wanted to personally come and make that clear. Terrorist group Hamas has slaughtered, as has been pointed out, over 1,300 people, and is not hyperbole. It's just slaughtered, slaughtered, and uh, including 31 Americans as part of that. And uh, they've taken scores of people hostage, including children.
0: The trip came after a deadly explosion at at a hospital in Gaza City, which reportedly killed hundreds of people.
1: Biden, in his meeting with Netanyahu, said the blame was, in his words, on the other team. Watch.
2: I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not,
1: not you.
0: Biden affirmed that the U.S. will make sure Israel has the means to respond to Hamas attacks.
1: The president strongly condemned the terrorist group and their tactics. He emphasized they do not represent all Palestinian people and said Hamas brings their suffering.
0: A four-way summit Biden was set to attend in Jordan today has been canceled.
1: This after Palestinian Authority leader Mahmoud Abbas withdrew his participation to observe three days of mourning after the hospital explosion. The president of Egypt and the king of Jordan were also scheduled to attend.
0: White House officials said in en route to Tel Aviv that the cancellation was decided mutually. Biden expressed his condolences for the innocent lives lost in Gaza and agreed to remain engaged with the leaders over the coming days.
1: The White House had planned to discuss the October 7th terrorist attack on Israel, humanitarian aid for Gaza, and the status of the nearly 200 hostages taken by Hamas.
0: The conflict in Gaza and Israel is igniting a media information war worldwide. Breaking reports coming from the Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry are repeated as fact.
1: The Israeli defense forces say that's the disregard for journalistic ethics and are calling out major media outlets.
0: The EDF says the hospital was hit by the Hamas-affiliated Islamic Jihad, a terrorist group. They've released video evidence and intelligence this morning that they say proves that. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on updates coming out of Gaza.
3: The Israeli military says the massive blast at a Gaza City hospital on Tuesday was caused by a terrorist organization affiliated with Hamas. The IDF has released video evidence and aerial footage before and after the blast. It shows a lack of a crater or any significant damage to surrounding buildings. The IDF also released taped audio from Hamas terrorists acknowledging the misfire. The Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry reported at least 500 people killed, calling it a horrific massacre. Palestinian officials blame Israel for the incident. Media worldwide, including AP, Reuters, the BBC, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, Al Jazeera, and The New York Times reported the explosion as an Israeli airstrike. Reporting IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conricus calls unprofessional.
4: Claiming that it was a missile based on Hamas information, he hasn't been on the ground. He hasn't verified it himself. He's taking Hamas information and he, and and
3: displaying that as the truth. Medina IDF also called out state-owned Qatari media Al Jazeera for its reporting, telling them to check their own footage first before accusing Israel. Isn't it amazing how fast fake news spread, and how
4: much they're leveraged? Uh, Yes, it is concerning because we find ourselves, unfortunately, in a combustible situation where we have armed enemies all around us who appear uh, to be extremely aggressive and uh, want a confrontation. Uh, Gaza, Hamas, the organization that governs the Gaza Strip, started it, and we are now in the early stages of uh, defeating Hamas, uh, which will be done eventually. And it appears that other terrorist organizations that are also under the Iranian umbrella uh, are uh, want to do the same. Uh, that is, of course, very dangerous for the region. Uh, we have made it very clear that this wasn't a war that we wanted, but it is a war that we intend to finish with the complete dismantling of Hamas as a military entity. And we have also said to Hezbollah and anybody else that uh, we strongly encourage them not to attack. And today, the state of Lebanon, and perhaps more so since these uh, so-called demonstrations have erupted, they have to make a decision if they want to sacrifice
3: their own country and security and safety for the sake of Hamas terrorists. IDF analyzed its operational systems and concluded Islamic Jihad responsible. The barrage of rockets was fired by terrorists in Gaza passing in close proximity to the Al-Hali al-Mahdi hospital in Gaza at the time it was hit. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted on X denying any IDF involvement. Along with this message, the entire world should know, those who brutally murdered our children also murder their own children. IDF says it has checked all its systems to make sure it didn't fire in the area, and its radars that tracks incoming enemy fire.
4: And we saw that there was a barrage of rockets that was fired from mid or northern gaza strip uh, towards israel exactly at the time or a little bit before the explosion uh, reportedly happened which was
3: caught in our systems uh, and perfectly corresponds with the information that we have. idf says since the war began around 450 rockets launched at israel have fallen within gaza jeremy sandberg ntd news
0: Protests in multiple cities around the world following the strike on a hospital in Gaza, the one we just heard about, and which uh, which Hamas and Israel blames each other for. Entities Costa has more on the protests.
5: Massive crowds marched on Tehran's streets till the early hours of Wednesday. Protesters marched from Palestine Square to the French and British embassies.
0: Palestinian people did not commit a crime they don't want anything that's their home they don't want to leave in my opinion we Iranians should help the Palestinians a lot even if necessary we should fight alongside them
5: dozens were seen setting the Israeli national flag on fire to loud cheers while chanting death to Israel On Wednesday, more than 100 protesters gathered near the U.S. Embassy in Olkar, Lebanon. Security forces used water cannons and tear gas to disperse protesters who started rocking the fence. More protests were also staged outside Israel's embassies in Turkey and Jordan. Around 500 people reportedly died in the blast on the hospital in Gaza, which drew condemnation across the Arab world. Protests also occurred in Iraq and multiple European cities including London, Madrid, Rome and Stockholm. Authorities in France and Germany have banned pro-Palestinian rallies due to the likelihood of such gatherings disturbing public order. More demonstrations were held in Montreal and Las Vegas. Hundreds of pro-Palestinian protesters gathered with flags and signs near the federal courthouse in Las Vegas. They were met with around a hundred pro-Israeli counter-protesters who also waved flags across the street. Gaza authorities say Israel's military was responsible for the hospital bombing, which occurred during a massive Israeli bombardment in retaliation for the October 7th Hamas attacks. Israeli authorities denied involvement in the strike, saying terrorists of the Islamic Jihad militants had fired a barrage of rockets near the hospital. And that intelligence from multiple sources indicated the group was responsible. According to the UN, roughly half of Gaza's population have now fled their homes, with many now in the approximately eight mile long stretch south of the evacuation zone. Kost MNS, NTD News.
1: Next, we get some analysis on the hospital attack and the stability in the Middle East. We're joined live by Or Isahar, who has served as an IDF intel analyst and who is currently head of research at the Israel Security and Defense Forum. Or, thank you for coming on the show this morning.
6: Thank you. Good to be with you.
1: So Israel and Hamas are trading blame over the hospital attack, but evidence has been produced that shows that it was the fault of the Islamic Jihad, which works with Hamas. Yet people are still protesting against Israel. How will those protests shape public sentiment toward Israel?
6: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, they say lies have feet. So we are seeing that in full display right now. It's even a bit amusing to see so many people outraged at, at actually by Hamas propaganda. Uh, we all got to be more careful, especially in a time of war. We, we know how to be careful when it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, alleged false flag operations were the accused to invade excuse to invade and uh, we had multiple the internet was flowing with russian misinformation and people who profess to combat uh, misinformation and fake news sometimes forget to do that when it comes to israel even when you open your everyday media outlet.com still we need to be careful when it comes to hamas propaganda why would israel bombard a hospital now we know that actually it was a misfired pij rocket islamic jihad rocket much like, by the way, 450 different rockets, 450 different rockets who were misfired and landed inside Gaza on the top of on the heads of the Gazans since the beginning of this war. You know, it's reminiscent of previous uh, operations in Gaza where misfired rockets killed civilians. I remember in August 2022, where a misfired PJ rocket landed on top of six Palestinian children who were really, you know, the heart goes out to them. And they accused Israel. There was even an M.K. in Israel who tweeted out his outrage and had to delete his tweet because uh, the, Israel was proven to be right. So we all got to be more careful here. Even when it comes to Israel, we got to be more careful for misinformation.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned false flag operations. So is this most likely just disregard for human life and a misfire or have there actually been a precedent for actually intentionally doing this from the terrorists?
6: Uh, for sure, and let's not lose sight of who's the real victim here, right? This all started when Hamas invaded Israel and murdered really in the most heinous way, 1300 civilians and abducted 200. Um, y- you know I spend my days, my whatsapp is booming from uh, messages from people who are telling me their story about this idea of soldiers who saw, I don't want to get into too much graphics here, but babies and children er, and the elderly, young men and women inside their own homes, burned alive, who go in, went into party and found their death. So let's not lose sight of who's the real terrorist here. Um, Israel has been conducting this war in Gaza as a response to the most murderous attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And even then it is prudent and it's taking measures to avoid civilian casualties while Hamas and PIJ are hiding behind civilians. This is not just a slogan. This is actually the the big, uh, you know, as security analysts, we are all uh, talking about non-state actors hiding behind civilians and using all of these malicious tactics who are against international law, by the way, much like they're taking hostages are against international law. So let's not lose sight of who's the real victim and who's the real perpetrator here. We all gotta be much more careful when it comes to fake news.
1: Yeah, and that ha- Hamas is using human shields, as they say. Jordan's foreign minister says that the war between Israel and Hamas is pushing the region to the brink. So what can you say about the stability of the region right now, given that rage is spreading?
6: Well, I think the Jordanian king is sitting on top of a mountain of explosive barrels. We know that over 80 percent of his population are Palestinian, and he has to say these things. And I somewhat understand it, but there comes a time where these things can no longer happen. Uh, You know, I would expect the Jordanian king was really in such unequivocal in no uncertain terms denounced a PIJ misfired rocket that landed in a hospital parking lot and injured almost no one and took the Hamas PR um, really golden gift that they got here now and they very wisely knew how to leverage uh, into Israel blasting a hospital killing hundreds. We know we absolutely have no knowledge of that. We actually know the opposite according to IDF evidence all the infrared uh, videos that were published, all these satellite images. you know, not only President Biden said it it, it wasn't Israel, even Al Jazeera mistakenly sided with Israel when their live coverage showed the misfired rocket landing on a hospital parking lot. But the Jordanian King, I would expect him to denounce the butchery of 1300 Israelis before he denounces uh, a misfired rocket landing in a parking lot. And you know, we are in a regional moment where everybody has to take sides. And, And I would advise Jordan and Egypt, to side with Israel and the United States in this war against Iran and against Hamas. They got to pick sides now. They can't just sit on the sidelines like they have all these years. President Biden is here on a visit. Use it, leverage it. Let President Biden come to Jordan and use this opportunity for peace in the Middle East.
1: Yes, and that meeting in Jordan with President Biden has been postponed or canceled due to the obviously. Attack on the hospital. So, Or Sahar, research head and director of content at Israel Security and
0: Defense Forum. Thank
6: you. Thank you so much.
0: Very interesting insights. And you know, uh, interestingly enough, I have heard about the theory that Israel and Palestinian the the. Peace between them would be the key to stability in the Middle East. But then there is others that actually voice their concerns and say, then there is, you know, if that has peace, then there is uh, Iran, which is seeking hegemony, and then there is all these radical Islamic forces that are not necessarily peaceful which, with each other either. So.
1: Well, yeah, you see that people naturally have an affinity for peace and cooperation. And you saw the Abraham Accords bring a lot of that to the region. But it's just—it's the hatred rooted in the Islamic fundamentalist terrorists that is going to naturally cause this problem to happen. So they're at the source of this.
0: Mm. Right. Um, Interesting input. But we are heading to break right now.
1: Round one of the House Speaker vote failed to give Jim Jordan the gavel. What will happen in round two this morning?
0: Former President Trump was back in the courtroom yesterday for the financial fraud trial. Trump shares his thoughts on the trial.
1: Welcome, Pack. Some politics for you. House Republicans are yet again forced to vote multiple ballots to elect a House Speaker. For the first official floor vote, failed to give GOP nominee Jim Jordan the gavel. But most Republicans seem optimistic for the next round. Here's more.
7: On Tuesday, Jim Jordan fell short of about 17 votes that he would have needed to secure the 217 votes to secure that gavel. 200 went to Jordan and 212 went to the Democrat leader, Hakeem Jeffries. That, after 20 Republicans chose to split with the party and vote against Jordan. Most of those votes went to either former Speaker Kevin McCarthy or Majority Leader Steve Scalise. However, Scalise and McCarthy are backing Jordan with hopes their supporters will follow suit.
3: It's interesting to see people voting for Scalise and voting for McCarthy uh, in this roll call vote, yet the people that they are voting for are voting for Jim Jordan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what would uh, what would that say to uh, them if Kevin is going to them privately or Steve is going to them privately saying, please don't. You know, we, we need to move on. We need to get this behind us. Um, I'd like you to join me in voting for, for Jim Jordan. I think that would be a, a positive thing that they could do. That's different than you know, sort of the New York guys voting for my former colleague and friend Lee Zeldin or, you know, the one-offs, where they're uh, you know, just kind of islands in a way. You know, I would think that they would be persuadable. I would hope they would be persuadable.
7: Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, who voted for Scalise, intends to stick with him on the next ballot.
5: Look, the reason we are in the position that we are is because a very small group of Republicans, let's not forget while we are where we are, um, Coordination with the, the more radical elements of the Democrats got together, and they got rid of the speaker that had been elected by uh, by the majority. We had the Republicans get together, and we had an election. In that election, Mr. Scalise won. I'm voting for the person who won the election.
8: Who do you want to see take the position?
3: I I, I think we've got to come together in the conference, and I'll support uh, you know the, the the candidate that comes out of the conference that can meet certain uh, issues that I care about. One is. Um, the, the Ukraine funding issue, and, and another uh, is the, uh, the, the acknowledgement that Donald Trump lost the election.
7: Despite the setback, most Republicans remain optimistic that Jordan will succeed. Congressman McCarthy encourages support for Jordan regardless of the number of rounds it takes.
9: So I saw the exact same vote that I got when I, when I ran and I became Speaker. So,
3: interesting part of why we're here every single Democrat voted to stop one branch of government. They created this mess with eight Republicans. Every single Democrat did that. And so I think what we'll do is we'll go sit down, uh, we'll talk to those that have difference of opinion and, and come back.
10: We've got to restore that unity. I firmly believe that Jim Jordan is a person to do that. This is a, a football game and we had the first down just a, an hour or so ago. We've got three more downs to go and we've got to make sure that our, our coach and, and our quarterback has has the votes he needs to get us across uh, the goal line. And I think by the uh, end of maybe not today, maybe tomorrow, that we will have those votes.
7: Jordan did pick up about 35 more GOP supporters during Tuesday's floor vote when compared to Friday's nomination.
11: We're going to keep going. I've had great conversations, great discussions with uh, our colleagues. And frankly, no one, no one in our conference wants to see any type of coalition government with Democrats. So we're going to keep working. And we're going to get to
0: the votes.
7: The House will reconvene at 11 a.m. Eastern time today for the second round of ballots for the Speaker.
0: The New York fraud case had a repeat visitor yesterday, former President Trump. Entity's legal correspondent was at the courthouse when he arrived.
12: FORMER PRESIDENT TRUMP RETURNS TO THE NEW YORK COURTROOM FOR THE FINANCIAL FRAUD CASE BROUGHT BY ATTORNEY GENERAL Leticia James. HE'S WATCHING THE STATE CONTINUING TO ASK WITNESSES QUESTIONS ABOUT THE VALUATIONS OF HIS PROPERTIES. TRUMP WAS EXPECTING TO SEE HIS FORMER ATTORNEY MICHAEL COHEN ON THE WITNESS STAND TUESDAY, BUT COHEN SAID HE COULDN'T COME. HE SAID IN A SOCIAL MEDIA POST, I'M NOT BOWING OUT, I'M NOT NERVOUS TO TESTIFY, I'M NOT BEING PAID OFF, I HAVE A MEDICAL ISSUE THAT I NEED TO ATTEND TO. Trump came anyway. Attorney General Letitia James has accused Trump of committing fraud by inflating the value of his assets. Outside the courtroom Tuesday, Trump said this.
10: This is a disgraceful situation. This is an attorney general, Letitia, that went out and uh, campaigned on, I will get Trump. I will get Trump no matter what I'll get Trump.
12: Cohen is a key witness in the case. He testified before Congress in 2019 that Trump inflated his wealth. It is believed this testimony sparked the investigation into Trump's finances. Instead of Cohen, the state questioned real estate appraiser Douglas Larson. Larson answered questions about appraisals he conducted on Trump properties. He refuted testimony given by Trump's controller, Jeff McConney. Larson said he never spoke to McConney about valuations contained in the financial statements explaining that he didn't have any specific expertise in calculating values. And besides, his appraisals were conducted on behalf of lenders, not for Trump entities. Larson stayed on the stand for the afternoon session and continued to deny having any involvement in assisting any Trump employee with calculating property values. Trump will return to the courthouse Wednesday and Thursday to continue watching witness testimony. As for Cohen, he's expected to take the stand next Tuesday.
0: More January 6th defendants are being sentenced for the Capitol breach. Two of them received prison sentences yesterday. Ryan Kelly, a former Republican candidate for Governor of Michigan, was sentenced to 60 days behind bars. Prosecutors said Kelly was at the West Plaza outside the Capitol, but didn't enter the building. Nonetheless, the judge said there was a need to send a message of deterrence due to Kelly's strong public following. A judge sentenced Rachel Powell from Pennsylvania to four years, nine months in prison, three years of supervised release and an $8,000 fine. Prosecutors said she smashed a window of the Capitol building with an ice axe and a cardboard tube. And earlier on Monday, the Justice Department appealed the sentences of five Proud Boys members, including its former leader. The goal was to get harsher penalties for them.
1: And stay with us. The Pentagon has released footage of nearly 200 aircraft intercepts by China. The number of intercepts in the last two years exceeds that of those in the last decade, which U.S. military officials call highly concerning.
0: The Biden administration plans to cut off more shipment of advanced artificial intelligence chips to China. We bring in NTD business host Don Ma for more. Welcome back. Turning now to China news.
1: Yes, the Biden administration plans to cut off more shipments of advanced artificial intelligence chips to China.
0: The sweeping update to chip restrictions was issued on Tuesday and will include cutting-edge NVIDIA chips.
1: Here now with us to discuss this is Entity business host Don Ma.
0: That's right, Don. Hi, good morning. We have seen the Biden administration do something similar before, so what's the difference this time?
13: Yeah, Evelyn, you're right. Uh, The Biden administration has done this before. Uh, Last year, the U.S. unveiled new restrictions on shipments of AI chips and chip-making tools to China. But it seems uh, even with that, uh, Chinese companies were still able to gain access to advanced American artificial intelligence chips uh, through a loophole. Um, So what that loophole was, uh, was that subsidiaries of Chinese companies that are located overseas could still get their hands on these AI semiconductors. Uh, So this new round of curbs, uh, which go into effect in 30 days, uh, aims to close this loophole. And the restrictions will probably be updated at least annually now taken some steps
1: to prevent this. Analysts even say that these chips are actually right at the center of the economic and security agenda competition with China. So Don, what's been Beijing's response to all this?
13: Yeah, you know, just the usual response, a spokesperson for the Chinese embassy said uh, it firmly opposes the new restrictions, Uh, says uh, the curbs goes against the principles of market economy and fair competition. But Kevin, you know, that's not really true because the Biden administration said that China will still be able to import hundreds of billions of dollars worth of U.S. semiconductors because the goal here is to actually just limit China's access to advanced semiconductors that fuel uh, breakthroughs in artificial intelligence for the Chinese military. And Kevin, this is indeed happening according to a report from Georgetown University's Center for Security and Emerging Technology. The the report found that most of the computer chips used in China's military were made by Nvidia, Intel and others. So, you know, in 2022 the Biden administration felt it needed to stop that it wants to stop having u.s technology modernizing beijing's military
1: yeah well china's modernizing their military while the u.s can't even meet its recruitment goals
0: right and that is very concerning uh, what you just mentioned that they're provided by NVIDI nvidia but, um so don moving on what do you what else do you have for us today
13: yeah sure so yesterday officials from the u.s britain canada australia and new zealand came together to accuse china Of intellectual property theft and using artificial intelligence uh, for hacking and spying against the nations Uh, they are from what is known as the five eyes intelligence sharing network the rare joint statement uh, by the allies came after meetings with private companies in silicon valley fbi director christopher ray christopher ray said uh, the call was meant to confront china's unprecedented threat to innovation worldwide Uh, china is accused of stealing secrets in various sectors including quantum technology robotics biotechnology and artificial intelligence Uh, the five eyes statement follows the group's warning in may of a widespread chinese spy operation targeting critical infrastructure and other sectors
0: right really always something happening in china thanks for keeping an eye on that don ma host of ntd business
13: yeah my pleasure
0: And the Pentagon has released footage of some of the nearly 200 intercepts of U.S. warplanes by Chinese aircraft that have occurred in the last two years.
1: The number is significantly higher than the total amount over the previous decade. U.S. military officials have called the trend concerning.
0: The intercepts happened over the East and South China Seas, which are considered international airspace. They include reckless maneuvers, discharging of chaff, shooting of flares, or approaching too close or rapidly to U.S. aircraft.
1: The officials said the Chinese flights were risky and aggressive, but stopped short of calling most of them unsafe. Officials said it was important to release the footage and call out China's behavior, as it shows a wider trend of Chinese aggression that could accidentally lead to conflict.
0: Despite calls to end the maneuvers, Beijing cut off communications with the U.S. military after former Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last year. Any requests for engagement have since gone unanswered. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced that Arkansas will force a Chinese company to give up farmland there.
1: Arkansas is the first state in the nation to take this sort of action, according to Huckabee Sanders.
13: We know who our enemies are, not just Hamas and Hezbollah, but a regime in Iran that chants death to America, an authoritarian Russia and a Chinese Communist Party whose stated goal is to defeat the United States at every turn. Yet for too long, in the name of tolerance, we've let these dangerous governments infiltrate our country. Arkansas will tolerate them no longer. Today we are becoming the first state in the country to take an action like the one that we are announcing right now. I'm announcing that Syngenta, a Chinese state-owned agrochemical company, must give up its land holdings in Arkansas.
0: The governor said that seeds are a form of technology. She raised concerns the company would use them as a possible way to target American farms.
1: The Chinese company must also pay a $280,000 fine for filing disclosures late. And after the break, we speak to a survivor of a Hamas terrorist attack. He gives insight into the emotions of the Israeli people as many families still search for their loved ones.
0: And over a week has passed since Hamas terrorists took nearly 200 hostages from Israel with no resolution in sight. Family members and world leaders are speaking out.
1: Jordan's king refuses to take Palestinian refugees into Egypt or Jordan. That's after Israel ordered civilians to evacuate from the northern Gaza Strip and the border with Egypt is still closed. So stay with us for that.
0: Welcome back. You might remember Zach Bernard. He was one of the people who survived the festival in Israel, which turned into a massacre. Despite everything, luckily he was able to make it out to tell the story, so we wanted to bring him back to get an update and his thoughts on how life in Israel is now during the war. Good to see you again, Zach. I know it's been um, a week since you've been on the show and we spoke and it's been almost two weeks since the attack and i know it wasn't exactly clear in the beginning what is happening a lot of confusion so how is the mood now for israelis almost two weeks into the war and living through those rocket fires
14: um we're not happy uh, let's just say that um a lot of people are still in shock um a lot of people are still searching for missing people that we don't know what's, what's happened to them. Um, shops are closed. There's alarms every few hours. So we can't really live nor- normally like everyone. We need to stay near a shelter. Um, yeah, it's we're not happy, let's just say that. The mood is not great. Um, we kind of... Want everything just to be over, but we understand that the IDF and the government needs to do what they need to do to to get everything back to normal.
0: So, So is everyone
14: support the government and the IDF?
0: Is everyone in your family are are you? Is they are they safe?
14: Um, Yes, they're safe. Um, Saying safe is is a big spectrum of a word because any minute a rocket could fall on your house or somewhere near you and you could get hit. So the term safe is not really a good term to say.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a, um, that's a constant fear you guys have to live with. And you just touched on the families that are still searching for the loved ones. So what about those you know, mothers, daughters, fathers? So in that situation, what do you know about those families? What can they actually do? What is their situation like right now?
14: There isn't much they can do, um, to be honest. Most of them rely on the government to, get the, to bring them back home. Um, but they are spreading awareness, um, to let everyone know what's happened there and that their kids are kidnapped. Um, a lot of the families are just searching for every piece of information they can get from videos that are spread online that Hamas published, um, videos that people talk during the festival that might give them an insight on what happened to their loved ones. Um, they're terrified. I've been with a family few days ago that their child has been kidnapped and every phone call they get their heart stops stops for a second dreading a phone call that they might hear that their son or daughter is not alive or kidnapped um, hard for them very very hard
0: are there any official sources that support them with with that are there official ways to find more information like that so they're just waiting and looking through videos is that it
14: Um, yes. A few days ago, Hamas published the video of Mia, the kidnapped one. Uh, That's the first video that confirms that she was kidnapped. Other than that, there isn't any official sources. The families are trying to get the Red Cross to go and give medical attention and what they really need to survive. But uh, Hamas won't let that happen, I suppose, because they don't want us to know who's kidnapped, who's alive, but who's not. Um, have- so yeah, what they're basically relying on is videos and public data, really.
0: That's really hard. That's terrible. And we, since we have one more um, minute, I wanted to touch on something else, because I know that you last time you were saying you survived such a traumatic event. But you were saying that you tried not to think about it. All you're trying to do is help. And I know a lot of people in the community are doing that, are helping. So tell me, give me an update on that, on the work you do in the community. What is happening
14: there? Um, Everyone is doing their best. Um, If it's getting basic foods and stuff for the soldiers that are out there fighting for us, and if it's getting donations from everyone for the people that lost their homes and their families, um, in the cities that were invaded and were massacred and just getting them basic stuff to keep them going that you haven't got a home to go to. Um, a lot of people are inviting people to come stay with them in, in areas that are considered safe and everyone's just doing the best and being together so we can go through this war and through this crisis that we're in.
0: Hmm. Well. I think that's very admirable also of you to do, um, to do these things, and I know, know it's not easy to relive live those things. I wish you all the best, Zach Bernard. I hope you and your family, friends, stay safe.
14: Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.
1: The Israeli hostage crisis enters its second week, and there are no signs of a resolution. Civilians taken by Hamas remain in captivity. Families voice their anguish, hoping for a breakthrough. NTD's Jason Perry has the update, and just a warning that some of the following footage is graphic and may disturb some viewers. The war between
9: Israel and Hamas started after the terrorist group conducted a surprise attack on Israeli civilians attending a music festival near the Gaza border.
12: They were fish in a barrel sitting in this... Uh, bomb shelter.
9: This Israeli mother described, according to witnesses, what happened when her son and other music festival attendees tried to take cover to avoid being killed by Hamas terrorists just days after it
12: happened. Terrorists came to the door. They were throwing grenades in shooting machine guns. And we know that Hirsch's arm from the elbow down was um, severed, was blown off, and that he tied a tourniquet around with his shirt and Hamas came in after the gunfire settled down and said anyone who can walk stand up and walk out.
9: She said her son walked out with five other people and they were put in a pickup truck and driven away by Hamas. Police told her that her son's last known cell phone signal was at the Gaza border and after more than a week in captivity Hamas terrorists released a video on Monday of a French Israeli hostage identified as Mia Shim. On Tuesday, her mother spoke out.
2: Yesterday, I saw my baby on television. I saw she's alive. I can see that she's saying what they tell her to say, but I can see that she's stable. I didn't know she's dead or alive until yesterday. I'm begging the world to bring my baby back home.
9: And this woman has not received any information about her two children who were taken as hostages.
1: Uh, They
12: were taken in, and um, the door was broken. And I could hear my youngest, who was on the phone with me with his phone, saying, "Don't take me; I'm too young."
11: And that was the last I heard of him.
12: Uh, Since Saturday,
1: seventh October seventh, I heard nothing. I know nothing of their whereabouts.
9: Israel reports that 199 hostages were taken to Gaza during the terrorist attack. So what are world leaders doing to help free the hostages? The Turkish foreign minister says Turkey has been in talks with the Hamas terrorist group. And Turkey has received requests from various countries about their citizens being released. The French Foreign Minister is also concerned about Hamas holding the entire Gaza population as hostages. She demanded that all civilians must be able to leave Gaza if they want to. However, Egypt, which is Gaza's only other neighboring country, won't allow Gazans to enter. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: Jordan's King Abdullah on Tuesday warned against trying to push Palestinian refugees into Egypt or Jordan, adding that the humanitarian situation must must be dealt with inside Gaza and the West Bank. Meanwhile, Palestinian civilians are told to flee northern Gaza as Israel prepares for a ground offensive, and the Fatah border, the, the Rafah border, Crossing into Egypt remains closed. NTD's Arlene Richards looks at one possibility, why.
12: Gazan civilians are under intense pressure to evacuate. But where can they go? The only land route out is into Egypt. But that country may not welcome them.
10: They don't want the burden. They don't want the responsibility. They don't know how to manage them. They're suffering their own big economic crisis with food and other things.
12: HARLEY Lippmann WAS A KEY BROKER OF THE ABRAHAM ACCORDS, THE PEACE AGREEMENTS BETWEEN ISRAEL, THE UAE AND Bahrain. HE BELIEVES EGYPT AND OTHER ARAB STATES SHOULD TAKE CARE OF THE REFUGEES. IT'S UNKNOWN WHETHER ANY OF THEM WILL. EGYPT HAS HISTORICALLY RESTRICTED GAZANS FROM ENTERING EVEN DURING VIOLENT CONFLICTS. It says Israel and Palestine should solve their problems within their own borders. Egypt has reportedly rejected the idea of making safety corridors for the refugees. The only land route into Egypt is through the Rafah crossing there's no way around it.
11: There are fences, there are barricades. Uh,
6: They were built starting in the early 2000s to prevent exactly this kind of of crossing. There's an actual physical wall. Uh, Egypt has security forces on the other side of the wall. You could swim that curved route into Egypt, uh, but that's a part that's controlled very strongly by the Egyptian military and the Egyptian navy. So it's not uh, a free swim. Once you land in Egypt, you will be detained.
12: Middle East expert Gerard Falidi says Egypt has always worried about Terrorists entering borders. It's especially concerned with Hamas, which is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization that once held power in Egypt. Falidi says Egypt won't want Hamas members sneaking into the country with the refugees, potentially strengthening the Muslim Brotherhood. But even if Egypt won't help, the refugees
6: still have hope. We will likely see some international effort to help civilian people who want to leave the Gaza area do so for safety. However, ultimately, it depends on Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization, not just towards Israel and the rest of the world, but towards its own people. They're the ones who prohibit their people from leaving.
12: Falidi says because of this, the Gazan's fate is up in the air. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
1: After the break, the UN Security Council is set to vote later today on a resolution regarding the Israel-Hamas conflict.
0: And with so many Israelis kidnapped by Hamas terrorists, How are their fellow countrymen responding? And was the pro-Palestine rally on Harvard's campus purely political or was there an element of hate? A rabbi tells us what he's experienced. Good to have you back. The United Nations Security Council is set to vote today on the Israel-Hamas conflict.
1: The vote is to decide whether to call for a pause in the conflict to provide humanitarian aid to Gaza.
0: The council is also expected to discuss the Gaza hospital blast that killed hundreds. The vote has been delayed since Monday to allow time for further negotiations.
1: The resolution is an updated version of a Russian proposal voted down for failing to condemn Hamas violence. It's uncertain if the U.S. will veto the resolution to protect its ally Israel. And a religious leader tells us of the struggles that Israelis face amidst the brutality of the Hamas terrorists. He also describes what he saw at the pro-Palestine demonstrations on campus. Take a look at my discussion with Rabbi David Wolpe, a visiting scholar at Harvard Divinity School. Rabbi David Wolpe, thank you for joining us.
10: Thank you for inviting me.
1: What are your contacts in Israel telling you?
10: Well, first of all, people should know obviously that the shock and the suffering is ongoing. Um, Almost everyone is connected to either someone who has been wounded, has been killed or has been kidnapped. And especially for those who've been kidnapped, there is a tremendous ongoing fear of what they're being subjected to and whether we will ever see them again.
1: With such a small country and over a 1,000 killed and countless wounded, that certainly seems very reasonable to compute. You were at the pro-Palestinian demonstrations on the Harvard University campus. What did you see there?
10: What I saw was a combination of people who were deeply invested in the hatred of Israel and what it stands for, and people who, at these demonstrations, as always happens, were sort of hangers-on, curious, went with their friends, weren't exactly sure what people were saying, um, but, and and that's it's important to recognize that difference because there's a core, hardcore of ideological believers, but some people are open to persuasion, and so, I saw things that, frankly, scared me um, as a Jew because I don't think this was a political rally. It was also uh, a rally that had clear elements of anti-Semitism. And uh, then I saw some things that I hoped would be uh, able to be reversed and changed in the months and years ahead.
1: Now, Israel is basically defending itself here in its invasion of Gaza amid accusations by Spain, for example, that they are committing acts of genocide and Israel is saying that Spain is siding with Hamas. What are your thoughts here?
10: Well, the first thing to realize is when people accuse Israel of genocide that the West Bank and Gaza have actually two of the fastest growing populations in the world. So, if Israel was interested in committing genocide, that wouldn't be true given the relative firepower. What they're doing, I mean, Israel dropped leaflets and said, please leave the territory because we're going to go to war, and the world said they're creating a refugee crisis. On the other hand, when they bomb very tightly um, packed uh, areas where Hamas puts their headquarters in hospitals and kindergartens and uses their own citizens as human shields, people say, you can't do that. Uh, It's very difficult to prosecute a war against people who want to destroy you if those people don't care about their own
1: people. Rabbi Wolpe, how can the Israelis overcome this ongoing terror?
10: The truth is that until there is a change of political culture in the Palestinian world, it's going to be very difficult to eliminate terror, as Western democracies have seen all over the world. Um, Until... The Arab nations accept the fact, as some have, as Jordan has, as Egypt has, that Israel is a real fact that will be here. I don't know that it can be overcome. I remind your listeners that Israel has voted has offered a state to the Palestinians six, seven, eight times, and always been refused. And the reason it's been refused is that Palestinians don't by and large want a state-to-state solution. They want a one-state solution, and it's not Jewish.
1: Rabbi David Wolpe, visiting scholar at Harvard Divinity School, thank you for your time.
10: Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's one minute after eight, so we are kicking off our second broadcast right now. On Capitol Hill, no House speaker yet after Congressman Jim Jordan fell short of the votes needed on the first ballot. What's next in the quest for a House speaker?
1: President Biden meets with Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel. Find out what the leaders delved into in their talks.
0: A media information war is being waged in the Israel-Hamas conflict. See evidence the IDF released on the cause of the Gaza hospital explosion after reports of an Israeli airstrike.
1: What would the U.S. do if Iran-backed Hezbollah attacks Israel from the north? And what are the capabilities of the carrier strike groups heading to the eastern Mediterranean Sea that serves as a deterrent? We hear from a foreign foreign affairs, former foreign affairs official.
0: An Israeli daughter wants her mom back home. She fears terrorists are holding her in the Gaza Strip. NTD spoke with her about her mom's last moments before going missing.
1: For those of you just joining us now, welcome and good morning, I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning from me as well. I'm Evelyn Lee. We're starting again with our top news. President Biden landed in Israel today and held a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. It's the first trip to Israel by an American president during a time of war.
1: Netanyahu welcomed what he called Biden's unequivocal support for Israel as Biden reaffirmed America's stance on the war.
0: The trip came after a deadly explosion at at a hospital in Gaza City, which reportedly killed hundreds of people.
1: Biden, in his meeting with Netanyahu, said the blame was, in his words, on the other team. Watch.
2: I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you.
0: We will have special coverage on Biden's visit today at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, so stay tuned for that. The conflict in Gaza and Israel is igniting a media information war worldwide. Breaking reports coming from the Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry are repeated as fact.
1: The Israel Defense Forces say that's a disregard for journalistic ethics and are calling out major media outlets.
0: The IDF says the hospital was hit by the Hamas-affiliated Islamic Jihad, a terrorist group. They've released video evidence and intelligence this morning that they say proves that. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more on updates coming out of Gaza.
3: The Israeli military says the massive blast at a Gaza City hospital on Tuesday was caused by a terrorist organization affiliated with Hamas. The IDF has released video evidence and aerial footage before and after the blast. It shows a lack of a crater or any significant damage to surrounding buildings. The IDF also released taped audio from Hamas terrorists acknowledging the misfire. The Hamas-controlled Gaza Health Ministry reported at least 500 people killed, calling it a horrific massacre. Palestinian officials blame Israel for the incident. Media worldwide, including AP, Reuters, the BBC, CNN, the Wall Street Journal, Al Jazeera, and the New York Times reported the explosion as an Israeli airstrike. Reporting IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conricus calls unprofessional.
4: Claiming that it was a missile based on Hamas information. He hasn't been on the ground, he hasn't verified it himself. He's taking Hamas information
3: and and, and displaying that as the truth. IDF also called out state-owned Qatari media Al Jazeera for its reporting, telling them to check their own footage first before accusing Israel. Isn't
4: it amazing
3: how fast fake news
4: spread and how much they're leveraged? Uh, Yes, it is concerning, because we find ourselves, unfortunately, in a combustible situation where we have armed enemies all around us who appear uh, to be extremely aggressive and uh, want a confrontation. Uh, Gaza, Hamas, the organization that governs the Gaza Strip, started it, and we are now in the early stages of uh, defeating Hamas, uh, which will be done eventually. And it appears that other terrorist organizations that are also under the Iranian umbrella uh, are uh, want to do the same. Uh, that is, of course, very dangerous for the region. Uh, we have made it very clear that this wasn't a war that we wanted, but it is a war that we intend to finish with the complete dismantling of Hamas as a military entity. And we have also said to Hezbollah and anybody else, that uh, we strongly encourage them not to attack. And today, the state of Lebanon, and perhaps more so since these uh, so-called demonstrations have erupted, they have to make a decision if they want to sacrifice their own country and security and safety for the sake
3: of Hamas terrorists. IDF analyzed its operational systems and concluded Islamic Jihad responsible. The barrage of rockets was fired by terrorists in Gaza passing in close proximity to the El hali al-Mahdi hospital in Gaza at the time it was hit. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu posted on X denying any IDF involvement. Along with this message, the entire world should know, those who brutally murdered our children also murder their own children. IDF says it has checked all its systems to make sure it didn't fire in the area, and its radars that tracks incoming enemy fire. And we saw that there was a barrage of
4: rockets that was fired from mid or northern Gaza Strip uh, towards Israel, exactly at the time or a little bit before the explosion uh, reportedly happened, which was caught in our systems uh, and perfectly corresponds
3: with the information that we have. IDF says since the war began, around 450 rockets launched at Israel have fallen within Gaza. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: Now we're going to look at Iran's role in the Israel-Hamas war with Bart Marquois, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of International Affairs. He joins us live. Good morning, Bart. Good morning, Kevin. Please start by giving us an assessment of Iran's purported desire to enter the conflict.
11: What Iran is really trying to do here is distract the entire world from two things, the peace process that they've succeeded wildly beyond beyond anyone's imagination in that, They wanted to stop the rapprochement between the sunni arab states and israel that we call the abraham accords the whole world calls the abraham accords the other thing they want in my opinion is a complete distraction from their nuclear development program i believe that iran is closing in on their final uh, months weeks of developing nuclear weapons and they need to pin down the, uh, the only military force that has the will and the power to stop them, the Israelis, and they need to distract the entire world from what they're doing. I expect them to uh, not to enter it themselves, but to enter it with more and more of their surrogates to which you alluded in the, uh, in the uh, news just now. And,
1: and how would Iran fueling Hezbollah's attack on Israel achieve those goals of distraction?
11: just by keeping the war going. They have, uh, right now, everybody's, look at what happened with the hospital. Uh, There was an accident that, because of badly constructed, badly aimed, badly fired uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad rockets, and immediately they went into the whole Iran-based and and Palestinian-based information operations went into full swing. And they had the whole world convinced that Israel had struck a hospital. And there are still, I'll bet you, I'll bet you that still this morning, more than 50% of the people in the world who are looking at this conflict think Israel just bombed a hospital full of refugees. Uh, They don't, they, they are keeping people angry at Israel, and they're trying to distract from the fact that that this is not, what Israel is doing in Gaza is not a retaliation for what Hamas did in, uh, in southern Israel. This is a preventive campaign because Hamas has made it clear in that attack on southern Israel that all they want to do is kill Jews anywhere they are. There is no negotiating with them. There, you can't make a deal with people who act like that. And Israel has said, enough, we've tolerated Hamas right under our noses for more than 25 years, and they've grown and grown, and we have to root them out. It's not retaliatory, it's preventive.
1: Yes, and Israel has made it very clear that this time is different, that they are seeking to eradicate Hamas entirely. What would the U.S. do if Iran-backed Hezbollah did attack Israel from the north?
11: The U.S. government, uh, at, at, at both parties, every level of government, has made it extremely clear that if if Iranian, more Iranian surrogates enter, for example, if Hezbollah enters from the north, the U.S. will be there to back up Israel to fight Hezbollah directly. Uh, they will be there to to uh, to fight Iran if necessary. We have two carrier groups in the Eastern Med. Well, one in the Eastern Mediterranean and another on the way. And we have aircraft at uh, air bases all around the regions, land-based aircraft all around, the, uh, all around the region, ready to operate.
1: And Senator Lindsey Graham has said that to Iran, that if they escalate the war, that the U.S. is coming for you. These carrier groups, they, they have one carrier, they have a couple cruisers, they have frigates. What are the capabilities of these strike groups?
11: Oh, they're almost beyond imagination. Uh, uh, the, there are just fighter bomber jets alone, F-18s alone. Each group has 40 to 50 of those of fighter bomber planes, of F-18s on it. Uh, each of those can carry 10 uh, smart bombs. Uh, you're, you're talking about a possible 400 to 500 smart bombs uh, deployed, dropped, uh, guided to their to their to pinpoint destinations in a matter of an hour, and then they return and they refuel and rearm and come back again. Uh, you have you can do this in in waves of uh, varying squadrons, so you have a constant uh, uh, carpet bombing of pinpoint laser guided accuracy in uh, in bombing. They can take out entire units. Um, an F-18 by itself is, is a uh, uh, a massive weapons delivery system. They have 48 of them on a on a carrier. Uh, they've got fighter attack helicopters. They have they've got electronic warfare planes uh, that can jam signals. Vast, they have vast array surveillance planes. Everything, everything,
1: yes. everything. And, and the
11: additional ships.
1: Bert McCoy, it was very good talking to you. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of International Affairs, thank you.
11: It was my pleasure. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Coming up, the House failed to elect the GOP nominee as House Speaker in the first round of votes. We get some more insight into the situation from our congressional correspondent.
0: An Israeli daughter wants her mom back home. She fears terrorists are holding her in the Gaza Strip. NTD spoke with her about her mom's last moments before going missing. Good to have you back. House Republicans are yet again forced to vote multiple ballots to elect a House speaker. The first official floor vote failed to give GOP's nominee Jim Jordan the gavel. NTD's Melina Weiskopf joins us now live, who has updates from Capitol Hill. Melina, hi there. Walk us through how the vote turned out yesterday.
8: Hi, good morning, Evelyn and Kevin. So yesterday, Jim Jordan fell short of about 17 votes that he would have needed to secure the gavel. He won 200 votes. The Democrat uh, challenger, Hakeem Jeffries, won 212, which, look, it could be embarrassing for Republicans, the fact that the Democrat leader actually won 12 more votes than the Republican-elected nominee, and that's because there were 20 Republicans who were opposed to Jordan yesterday on the House floor for that vote. Most of those uh, 20 that voted against Jordan voted for either former Speaker Kevin McCarthy or Majority Leader Steve Scalise. There were also some stray votes, one for Lee Zeldin, one for Tom Emmer, the whip, just some one-off uh, sort of votes. And look, we spoke to some of the people who voted no uh, against Jordan yesterday, um, and they, they're they not willing to turn around anytime soon. Mario Diaz-Balart, for example, he told me that he's just so frustrated with the process, the way that McCarthy got ousted, the way that Scalise had to step down because the whole Republican Party wasn't getting behind them after that first um, after he was first chosen as the nominee so we'll show you what those members who are still insistent on voting no told me yesterday take a look
5: look the reason we are in the position that we are is because a very small group of Republicans let's not forget while we are where we are um, coordination with the, the more radical elements of the Democrats got together and they got rid of the speaker that had been elected by uh, by the majority we had the Republicans got together and we had an election in that election mr. Scalise won I'm voting for the person who won the election.
8: Who do you want to see take the position?
3: I, I, I think we've got to come together in the conference, and I'll support uh, you know the, the, the candidate that comes out of the conference that can meet certain uh, issues that I care about. One is um, the the Ukraine funding issue, and, and another uh, is the, uh, the the acknowledgement that Donald Trump lost the election.
0: Yeah, thank you for giving us that insight take just now. So, Melina, what's next then? Do folks still think Jim Jordan has a shot to get to 217?
8: Well, the reality, Evelyn, is that that question really depends on who you ask at this moment. If you ask him some of those hardcore Jordan supporters, of course, they're going to try to stick this out. They're going to try to make the case for why Jordan is the, the name of the party. You know, they're saying they, he already got 200 votes, so we might as well just stick with him and try to put pressure on some of those no votes to flip. However, it really is looking like the people who are voting no are insistent in staying that way. And if that happens, it could actually flip the other way in those out. votes could actually pressure Jordan to step down. But regardless, Jordan himself was pretty optimistic yesterday leaving the floor. We'll show you how he was feeling along with some other members that we caught up with after yesterday's vote.
11: We're going to keep going. I've had great conversations, great discussions with uh, our colleagues. And frankly, no one, no one in our conference wants to
6: see any type of coalition government with Democrats. So we're going to keep working and we're going to get to the votes.
2: I'm expecting another vote to take place and we still won't have enough. 217, but hopefully we'll get to somewhere between 2-6 and 210. Uh,
3: I know some conversations that uh, uh, Mr. Jordan has been having with some folks who um,
4: did not vote for him um, seeing if he can move any of those individuals and then if he can, great, if he can't, then we probably have to move on.
0: So what's expected to happen oh. to... D- Please, can, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
8: No, it's okay. I was just going to say actually one important point about all of this is the fact that Jordan actually was able to shore up a lot more support than he was able to on Friday. He won about 35 more votes on the floor than he did back in the internal conference. So that's a good sign for Jordan. The only question now is, can he actually convince those 20 members uh, and those who are also still skeptical of him and then just voted for him just for the sake of the party? Can he convince them to stick with him throughout today's ballot?
0: Thank you very much, Melina Weisskopf, for the update today. I appreciate it. And Israel has notified the families of about 200 people so far that their loved ones are being held hostage by Hamas terrorists in the Gaza Strip.
1: today's Daniel Monahan spoke with a young lady whose mom has been missing since the day of the terror attack.
15: Hagit Rafeli Mishkin was working on preparations for a festival called Midburn when she went missing. That's an Israeli Burning Man regional event. Her daughter Noah is asking those with any information about her mom to come forward.
16: My mom is Hagit Rafeli Mishkin. She's missing since the Hamas, since Hamas attack, an uh, unhuman attack, during the Saturday, October 7th.
15: Hagit was at a gathering with other Midburn volunteers at a farm called Tal Or, that's just a couple miles from where the Nova Festival was, the site where Hamas terrorists massacred at least 260 people. Hagit left the farm at around 7.15 on the morning of October 7th due to the rocket attacks launched by Hamas. At 8.20, Hagit sent her ex-husband a message that terrorists were shooting at her and to please come.
16: Our last contact is a WhatsApp message she sent to my father. She said, I'm near Kibbutz shooting at me. Come for rescue.
15: Her ex-husband wrote her to call him at 822, and at 828, she sent him a one-word reply, soon. Hagit's family hasn't heard from her since. Her car was found empty, covered in gunshots. Noah says volunteering is something her mom does often.
16: My mom is a person of giving and helping always. She always uh, volunteered on many activities such as giving food, packaging and clothes for those who need. Uh, yeah. She also was a part of a Jewish and Arab Israeli women group that work to improve the Israeli bond.
15: The proud daughter has a message for her mom.
16: I want to tell my mom that I wish, I wish to tell you that I love you and I miss you so much. Please be strong and we will find you.
15: Noah wants the world to realize the danger of the Hamas terror group.
16: I want to call for the international community to not be silent again, as in the Holocaust in the 1939. The international community should recognize Hamas as a terrorist organization, like the ISIS.
15: She is calling for an immediate and unconditional release of all hostages in Gaza. During the interview, an interruption occurred highlighting the challenges Israelis continue to face as they search for lost family members and confront destroyed communities.
16: Thank you. I'm sorry if there is an alert.
6: A missile alert. Everyone has to come to the shelter.
16: Yeah, this is the shelter, so everyone in the house is need to come.
15: Hagit's family believe Hagit is alive. They say she is a strong woman, a born survivor, with a lot of field experience. They are calling on anyone with information to call Shani or Meriav at the numbers shown here. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: Well certainly we hope that all the hostages are safe and that they can return to their families soon.
0: Hard to imagine what they're going through. All right, we have to wrap up our show now. Stay tuned for our special coverage at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks so much for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.